Welcome to the A-Level Podcast. On today's episode of the A-Level Podcast, Sneha No will be speaking with Vishnu Joshi, who is an associate at A-Level Capital and a senior at Hopkins. He's also a member of the varsity tennis team and worked recently as a software engineering intern at Capital One. Hi guys, welcome back to the A-Level Podcast. Uh, today we have Vish with us. Um, Vish is a rising senior at Hopkins. He's studying computer engineering and computer science, but he's also a student athlete at Hopkins, plays for the varsity men's tennis team. Um, Vish, we're really happy to have you. Awesome, yeah, thank you guys for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to uh, answer a couple questions. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, just to start to hear a little more about your background, um, just generally like what you do on campus, off campus. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, as you guys mentioned, I'm going to be a senior at Hopkins. And so uh, over the course of the past few years, I've actually had a lot of different, I would say, change of hearts in terms of um, where my interests are. But I think I finally ended up settling on computer science and computer engineering early on uh, in my sophomore year. Originally, I came in as actually a chemical engineer, but I realized that I really wanted to solve practical problems and eventually become an entrepreneur myself. And I thought being a computer science major and having that um, kind of deep-rooted technical background would give me the best opportunity to do so. And so in terms of um, other things that I do on campus, obviously you mentioned that I do play tennis. That's been um, a big part of my experience, but on top of that, I've also been pretty involved as a course assistant for a couple of computer science courses. Um, and that's been a really good experience just interfacing with students and more so than actually, you know, learning the material better for myself. It's been interesting to see how much uh, it means to me to actually teach people and see them, you know, understand concepts that they originally walk into office hours having no idea. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, so Vish, you mentioned about how you're a varsity athlete at Hopkins. Would you be able to talk a little bit more about how your experience as a student athlete has complemented both your academic and your professional experiences? Yeah, sure. So in terms of being a student athlete, I think uh, one of the biggest things that has helped me is just being able to network with people from a wide variety of different um, majors at Hopkins. And I think that's actually how I got interested in entrepreneurship in the first place. I believe that with Hopkins and with the computer science community, sometimes it can get easy to slip into like this highly technical, highly specialized role um, and basically strictly kind of associate yourself with those kinds of people just because there is a lot of coursework, there is a lot of material that you have to cover each semester. But spending time with other kids on the team, kind of hearing what they're interested in and what they're doing has been really awesome for me. Um, also, another big thing that is really underrated about the student athlete experience is like kind of the places I've traveled to. Um, so, for example, one of the places I recently visited this past uh, year was Rome, Georgia, which is a very rural part of Georgia, which um, is something that I really was not exposed to as you know a teenager or you know like a 10 year old and I think it's a completely different way of life and kind of seeing um you know that lifestyle and how those people go about you know their day-to-day -day was very enlightening for me in terms of what I wanted to do with my career and um eventually like 
creating solutions, not just for like this niche subset of people that is like the Hopkins student body or like the New Jersey student body, which where which is, which is where I come from. No, absolutely. So I'd love to hear a little more about like um, your experience in Georgia. That sounds like a pretty unique thing. Sounds like it shaped your trajectory quite a bit. So um, could you kind of elaborate a little more on that and, and where you kind of see yourself in the future? Yeah, yeah. So I guess just going a little bit more in depth with that, I think uh, I've been lucky enough to grow up in a pretty privileged part of New Jersey. I grew up near Princeton. And so a lot of the things I was seeing on a day-to-day basis were um, just highly competitive academics, highly competitive athletics, and people just really trying to push to do like the absolute most with every second of their day. And obviously, there's nothing wrong with you know, that way of life. I think there's a place for it. But um, I think that's also present at Hopkins. And finally, stepping out of that little bubble and seeing this small part of Georgia was very enlightening for me, because it made me realize that um, not everyone has the same aspirations, and not everyone needs the same things. Um, I actually overheard a conversation of just this family who was watching some of my tennis matches or some of my teammates matches out there. And they were just talking about how there was just a blatant lack of access to healthcare. And that's something that um, really shook me. It's something that I never really, um, again, had exposure to. And I think that really, I guess, showed me the need for, you know, more widespread, uh, more implementable solutions to things such as healthcare, things such as education. Um, And I guess, kind of going into my whole uh, like technological background, I guess that's something where I want to eventually leverage my technological skills to create solutions for that demographic. Yeah, that's great. I was curious, uh, you've mentioned how you had many changes of hearts in terms of your professional aspirations and what you want to do. I was wondering what made you want to join A-Level and how has being a part of A-Level thus far helped you achieve your professional goals? For sure. Yeah, so my interest in A-Level actually came about um, through a couple of classes that I had taken my sophomore and my junior year of college. So within the computer science department here at Hopkins, Hopkins is very academia focused. And um, for, for better or worse, I just think that's the fact of the matter. There is a heavy focus on research. And you don't see quite as many people being placed into jobs as you would see at like a state school for example or maybe not the same fraction of people and so um i think during my i I kind of alluded to this before but one of the things i was noticing was that i was kind of finding myself going deeper and deeper into this rabbit hole that is like computer science that is strictly technology and eventually i found myself just learning like computer science theory in in my head i was like okay i mean like yeah this is cool but is this really what I want to do? Like, am I really solving problems that, that are relevant to me, that matter to me? And the, the answer was no. And so I think with A-Level, it provided me with kind of a platform for me to learn about like what else is even out there, what problems are being solved, and what, what startups are doing to even approach those problems. And I think that's something that is, is very underrated within the entrepreneurial community, even assembling a team, for example, that is well equipped to tackle challenges, or, you know, even 
even uh, creating a tech stack that will actually help you solve your problems in the most efficient manner. Those are all skills that aren't necessarily talked about in your basic like computer science courses. Those aren't skills that are talked about when you're taking your, you know, like computation theory exams. And so I think that gave me a really good opportunity to, to kind of see those skill sets and um, kind of, kind of building on top of that. There was a specific instance um, within my college career that kind of helped me like formulate this opinion that maybe I should look into A-level. And that was actually at home, one one winter break. So a lot of my friends from home are also heavily invested in tech or invested in the sense that they study um, computer science and they're very well placed in the industry. They're working at companies such as NVIDIA, Apple, Amazon. And I noticed that they were all, they were all like talking, they were like, oh yeah, like we should start a startup, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, okay, um, wh- what do you want to do? And, you know, a natural question. And they were just saying, oh yeah, like we should, um, we should make this platform that's like Uber, except you should, I'm, I'm not going to go into details, but um, essentially I noticed that what they were saying was there was no actual, actual need for their solution. And that really shook me. I realized that a lot of engineers in today's day and age have all of these tools that are available to them to solve problems, but they're not necessarily solving problems that require solutions. Um, A lot of these problems are just being solved to say like, oh yeah, look at what I did. And I think that's where like successful startups are actually like challenging that norm and saying like, okay, do we need the solution? It's kind of like a great intersection between you know, the business side of things and the technology side of things, which I really enjoy. Oh, absolutely. I think you're pretty spot on with kind of this idea that there's not necessarily as much thought that goes into the problem as much as the solution, um, which might be something we'd like to see changed in the next couple of years, you know, and, and in the distant future as well. But kind of more specifically, so have there been any companies in your mind, either A-level port codes or, or outside of the A-level network that you've kind of followed and that have kind of set an example for what, what, uh, what a like meaningful company looks like? Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I think a great example of a company that does exactly that is a company that our very own Adam Piasecki actually interned for last I believe it was last summer I think this summer he was at Credit Suisse but um, yeah I think I think Prosha obviously is a medical device company that solves very realistic healthcare you know issues I believe it's a I will correct me if I'm wrong but I believe they create medical devices for cancer patients and that's something where that's something where I there, there's no doubt in my mind that the problem is extremely evident there's 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 no, um, how, how should I put this? I, I don't think there's any, there's any room to say that the problem that they're solving is irrelevant. And I think it's very clear in terms of who they're employing and their backgrounds that all of these people are actually committed to solving this problem. And I think that's a testament to how important a strong founding team is to creating a successful startup. I think um, they've obviously assembled a group of people who care a lot about this given matter. And I think, um, I think it's, ver- it's gonna be very interesting to follow them and see how they're doing in the coming years because obviously healthcare is something that's, uh, 
that's a topic of contention, especially in America. And it's going to be interesting to see how they disrupt the field. No, absolutely. And I think another big kind of point that you touched on just now was this idea of having a really strong founding team. Um, I think sometimes we hear that, you know, the idea can be a B idea, but if the, if the team is an A team, then it'll go pretty far. So I know you don't necessarily have experience like starting a team like that of your own, but what would you say are qualities you would be looking for when finding, you know, co-founders and, and building your A team? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, again, going back to my point about how a lot of engineers look at solutions before looking at problems, I think having a good head on your shoulders in terms of the problem you're actually looking to solve and having realistic benchmarks about what you want to do is very important. And I think we see this a lot, even in, you know, even, even in like silly shows like Shark Tank, it's not a silly show, but a lot of people are, are just flat out delusional about what their product is offering and um, eventually like what they want to do with their company. And so I think having, having that realistic mindset, having, having firm and you know, relevant one-year plans, five-year plans, I think that's extremely important, especially when you are working with a small team. And um, I, I think that's something that I'd really look for. In, ter in terms of other things, I think it's also very important to be a strong communicator. I know we've been on calls where uh, we've, we've interfaced with founders who have fantastic ideas. Um, perhaps maybe a, as you put it, Sneha, maybe like a quality ideas, but when they're talking to us, maybe they don't seem to necessarily have like a great head on their shoulders. They're, they're kind of dodging questions a little bit, or perhaps the, even just the tone that they're using is very off-putting and I think that's something that um, we take to heart especially when you know we are we are writing checks for these companies so um, yeah those are just a couple of things that I'd, I'd keep in mind. Yeah so Vish I was wondering what are some ways that you've seen tech evolving lately and how do you see it changing norms in both venture capital and entrepreneurship? Yeah that's a good question. I think um, so over the past uh, three summers, I've been lucky enough to do a few software engineering internships at three different companies. And I would say that they've pretty much hit all of the sizes that you'd look for in tech companies. Um, one of them was pretty small, probably roughly 100 people. One of them was much larger, but their US office was probably quite small. And then um, this past summer, I interned at Capital One, where obviously they have a huge um, domestic and international presence. So I guess, I guess to compare and contrast, some of the things that haven't changed are, you know, the type of people that are successful in the work environment. I think people in tech need to constantly be willing to learn new things, and they can't necessarily stagnate in terms of their skill set. And I think the people who are constantly learning about you know the new technologies that are being used and not not being reactive um, are the ones who are who are really shining and the ones who are like really pushing the company forwards. Um, in terms of things that are changing, though, I do think one of the the biggest things is that a lot of people are trying to incorporate these technologies, these AI ML technologies, into their workflows, and obviously that is something that is a buzzword. It's something that I don't necessarily think 
is um, always what you think it is. You know, like if you write one if else statement, someone can call that AI and, and call it a day. But um, I think a lot of people really are trying to make it um, a point to leverage those things and um, kind of like change their whole, their whole workflow, their whole dynamic. Um, I get, I get, I kind of missed the other part of your question. I, I kind of got off track there. <laughs> yeah. I was just wondering about in terms of also how the changes in tech and the evolution in tech has changed some of the norms in both venture and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually have, um, I don't know if this is a hot take or not a hot take, but one of the things that I believe about the technology industry is that a lot of these big tech giants are, <laughs> whether they like it or not, kind of creating competition for themselves based on how they're operating at the team level and at the company level. So, um, for example, um, during my internship at Capital One and a lot of my other friends at big tech companies also had similar things to say. Um, it's very difficult to actually create new features for products you're creating. <clears throat> so, for example, this summer, um, I spent a consider considerable amount of my 10-week internship just creating the simple feature that would enable users to see their interest rate, rate, interest rate changes in their checking account transaction ledger, um, which doesn't seem like a huge feature, but just because of the code density, the size of the code base, and basically all the processes that go into getting your code to production, it takes a really long time. And there's a lot of loopholes that prevent you from having these very fast iterations <clears throat> of, of development. And I think because of that, um, a lot of people are transitioning into these smaller companies. You see a lot of small startups um, attracting a lot of top talent because people want to be working hands-on with projects that are making it to production very quickly and see their work have immediate impact instead of you know writing code, having it reviewed by three people, um, sending it to QA testing, sending it to production, possibly having your code being rolled back to a previous version because something doesn't work. That whole process can be extremely draining, can be extremely grueling. Um, and there's just a ton of overhead in terms of actually getting your code to um, to see actual front end users or actually see, you know, tangible impact within your team or your company. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my take on, on big tech. I think in terms of how that's shaping, um, kind of like this entrepreneurial landscape, as I mentioned, a lot of top talent, I think is rebranding and kind of looking towards starting something where they, they can get things off the ground a lot quicker. And I think whether that be, you know, AI companies, um, just basic software as a service companies, um, I think in any capacity, that's where people want to be. And that's where people will feel like their, their work is, is pushing the company forward the fastest. No, absolutely. I mean, I think this, this kind of change you're seeing is something that we're going to probably be feeling the effects of very, very heavily in the coming future. But I wanted to ask you something that kind of strays away from tech a little bit sure. in the sense that it's, it's maybe a little more investment focused. And, and the question is, you know, what are some ways that you've been able to leverage your knowledge of tech and, and your experience as a computer engineer and computer scientist, both like academically and professionally? 
when making investment decisions? Yeah, definitely. So are you talking about like my own investment portfolio or A-level or something? Uh, more specifically A-level, but gotcha. I mean, gotcha. you can talk about both. Like we have yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to give un, uh, unsolicited investment advice, <laughs> but um, in terms of A-level, I think definitely one of the things that's helped me is kind of being on the phone with founders who do kind of operate in this in this SaaS business model and who do, you know, toss around these buzzwords like AI, ML. Um, as I mentioned, I think AI is probably one of the most misleading parts or one of the most misleading terms in, uh, in, in today's day and age. And I think when, when you're, when you're hearing these kind of words being tossed around without much substance, you're immediately kind of tuned into the fact that maybe, um, the technology that the company is using is not necessarily up to speed with what they claim it is. And I think that's kind of helped me in a couple intro calls that I've actually been on with Noah. Um, it's helped me in an intro call that I've been on just this past week with you, Sneha. I think it's something that is kind of, it kind of gives you a better understanding of where the founding team is at, both in, in terms of their technical know-how and in terms of where they are in terms of developing their product. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. Did I dodge that? <laughs> no, no, it does. And I think um, something, so Noah and I, and Vish, I don't know if you were on the call too, were on kind of a panel the other day listening in um, to some, you know, entrepreneurs from Hopkins who are making a name for themselves. Um, and and there was one of the entrepreneurs who kind of was mentioning, you know, um, VCs mostly assume that, the technology is good and it's your job to convince them to invest, you know, whether it be for returns or, or for the problem you're solving. But um, a lot of times I think VCs can kind of fall in the trap of hearing these buzzwords and seeing, you know, maybe a very abridged demo or, or UI or UX um, and assuming that the product works. But I think you highlighted a very valid concern, which is that, when a founder is throwing around buzzwords, you have to really dig into that and find out if those buzzwords have any merit um, before you can even think about proceeding with an investment decision. So um, I think that's all the time we have today, but I uh, just wanted to thank you again, Vish, for hopping on. Um, really happy to have you again. Yeah, thank you guys. And thanks for, uh, thanks for giving me a platform to, to speak a little bit. <laughs>